at this point, I walk in in a Guayabera and everybody else in a suit, I'm good. Really? Yeah. I thought- I walk in, no man, I walk into a meeting, I, I walk into meetings and I have no problem stating my point of view and if they don't like it, they can leave or I leave. I don't, I don't have, I don't have to negotiate my identity anymore. I don't negotiate my identity. I don't negotiate my stances and everything else. I learn, I'm open, I'm open, you know, but I'm not walking in there trying to impress you. I, I am not, I'm also not insecure about what my position is. I know exactly who I am. I'm and, and that works in a lot of different ways. I don't, before I remember ha having to like put certain words in or like drop my credentials into everything and all this other stuff. I, I don't have to do that anymore. Oh my goodness. When I was younger, I would have to mention that I did this or that I graduated from college or that I know yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. My resume was like 20 pages long because I was putting in there every little thing because I was so insecure that they wouldn't try, they wouldn't get the essence of what I had to offer, you know? No, no, it gets easier when you get older, bro. For me, at least, like I'm so comfortable being me. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your host, Pavel Martinez, bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, this week on the podcast, we have Jose Antonio, who is the president and CEO of the Hispanic Heritage Foundation. It's a national nonprofit focused on education, workforce, social impact, and culture through innovation and leadership. Fun fact, HHF has also been around for quite some time. It was established by the White House in 1987. Now back to Jose Antonio. As a proud immigrant from Nicaragua, he actually currently resides in Washington, DC. And his blogs and media presence have made him a national voice on so many important issues that impact our community, including diversity, immigration, creativity, and youth empowerment. I'm honored to have him on the podcast, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. To read his full bio, be sure to check out the show notes of this week's episode. Now, with that said, let's get into the episode. So it's interesting, man, like when, like before we started recording, we were, you know, having a conversation about identity and authenticity, especially as it relates to even college, right? And many of us, when we go into these like predominantly white institutions, we sort of like have to make this decision around like how much of ourselves are we going to hold on to, right? And it's yeah. interesting because you, um, even as a father, like you're seeing your kids go into some of these institutions and like seeing what the decisions they are making. But tell me about like when you were coming up, right? Like, was it, was it encouraged to be yourself or like, was it more of like, Hey, you should probably assimilate to fit into this American culture. Your identity is so personal. It shouldn't have to cater to those around you's version of you. When I first came over here, I was six years old. I, and, and it was a fine existence too, by the way. I, I, I try to make sure that people understand that we measure our struggles, you know, because there's others that have it a, a lot worse. Yeah. And so I, I never, I am very toned down about a lot of this stuff. I, I, it was what anybody would have had to adjust, right? I was six years old. My dad had a great job, came here to the United States for that job. And, and where um, did he come from? From Nicaragua. From Managua, Nicaragua. So the, the difficult part was not just that you don't have palm trees or warm weather year round or the food is different. Like that's a little bit of just now everything's kind of very different in terms of the environment, that part of the environment. But I was put in first grade the day after I got here. There was no pre-K. There was no kindergarten. I didn't speak a word of English. And I don't think there was conversations because my parents didn't speak English in terms of those, those teachers that suddenly have a kid that doesn't say a word. So they left me back in first grade. I remember wow. you know, to see if they can get a sound out of me because they thought maybe I, I couldn't speak. Um, there, was corporal, there was punishment then that, that for being disrespectful of not 
responding to a teacher. And so they would actually hit you with rulers and things like that. And I remember that the kids would make fun of me because I had, you know, you, you got that, I had a fly copete, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, you know, you had the little grease in your hair and the priantina in your hair and, you know, it, it looked fly in Nicaragua, but they were making fun of it. Um, and they were making fun of the, the food that I would bring to school or that my parents would, wouldn't, couldn't speak English. Um, and, and there was the one answer that I had to everyone because at that time he was the, the best baseball player in the world. And it was Roberto Clemente. And that was my answer to everything. They, they made fun of my accent. Roberto Clemente has one. They made fun of um, the food I eat. Roberto Clemente ate food like that. He ate platanos, you know? Um, and so he was my imaginary but real friend. And it was my comeback. And that's why Clemente means so much to me. I wrote a story about it for my daughter. And as I wrote it as a kid's story uh, in Huffington Post, the great Roberto Clemente and the impact that he had on me as a child. So then you go on and then people adjust. I adjust, they adjust, it's fine. And again, my existence was fine. My dad had a good job. We came over here for that job. Then there were problems at home. My dad wants to move back to Nicaragua. My mom and my sister go to Paraguay, where, where my mom was from. My brother and I are in Nicaragua with my dad. We didn't know that that's where we were now going to live. So now you have the adjustment of going back to Nicaragua at 15 years old, where they'd look at me as an outsider. The same way I was looked at when I was six here in the United States, I'm now an American version of a, a, a more American than Nicaraguan, especially in Nicaragua. And then before, Civil War, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, before we get into the, the experience of, of moving to Nicaragua, tell me about that experience of you sort of like being made fun of in the States. Like what for you, did you see it as like, oh my God, I need to fix my accent or I need to be more American. Like what were some of those yeah, that, feelings you know, that's, at the that's, time? That, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good uh, astute uh, follow-up question. Um, this is where your makeup comes in and this mm -hmm. kind of dictated me forever. Uh, my brother's reaction was very different. My sister's reaction was very different. Mine was to fight. Somebody made fun of me, I'm throwing down as a little bitty kid. Um, in English or in Spanish, I'm throwing down. And they, that was my, not a smart way to handle it. And I love that my kids are so much smarter than I am in terms of when people are picking on them. Um, but it didn't necessarily mean that I didn't have issues with my own identity. Um, it just meant that, I'm, that, that I didn't like anyone picking on me or bullying me. But I had real conflicts where I started trying to adapt. And you, you to some extent, you have to adapt to, to the environment around you. Um, and there were moments when I was like, oh my Lord, my mom's coming in for this meeting with a teacher and or my dad and their accents. Nobody's gonna understand what they're gonna say. And now my English is getting better. Um, so let me be in on that parent-teacher meeting so I can interpret um, it's just another layer of, um, of, uh, of, of responsibility, if you will, for a kid to worry about at eight years old, that you also have to be on the phone with, with the banks and with the phone company. Um, so you become the IT guy, you become the, 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 the financial advisor <laughs> as a the, little the, kid. <laughs> the, the accountant, the translator. The account <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and uh, it, it doesn't matter how smart my parents were. This is a whole nother world and, and another language. So there, there was the, there were those elements. So I, and I, and I didn't necessarily have what my kids have with me, where it's, you know, be defiant, be proud of who you are. You define who you are. What they said, what, and seeing me get angry about it. Um, how a teacher might have reacted to something or another student did and saying, well, you tell them that, you know, I didn't have that at home. It was, Papito, you have to adjust, uh, you know, try to speak English. Um, 
we need to work on our English, you need to work on your English. Um, it, it was more of just adjust, adjust, and, and that's the interesting thing. Okay, so by the way, I, this is gonna be a two hour interview and you can chop it up <laughs> however you want. This shit is so deep for me. Um, my son's name, so my dad, my son is, um, is Juan Antonio. Mm -hmm. I was Jose Antonio. My dad was Jose Antonio. My grandfather is Juan Antonio. We all go by Antonio or Tonio or Tonito, right? All of us. My, my, my dad's 91 years old. There are people that call him Tonito in Nicaragua that, that are still around. My name was Tonito. The kids couldn't spell that, couldn't pronounce that Enya. Mm -hmm. So they just didn't. And it's like Roberto Clemente, the announcers just started calling him Bob Clement. Did um, they? Yeah, look it up. And on his baseball card, I think it might have had that. So it, it, for someone to actually call you what is convenient to them, hits home when I'm dealing with this Latinx thing or Latino thing or Hispanic thing or anything else. People should decide what they want to be called. What mm -hmm. is my name is an important statement in so many ways. So they started calling me Tony. Mm -hmm. And my way of hanging on to it was to say, well, I'm spelling it with an I because it comes from Tonito or Antonio, you know, but there's, but I, at some point, everybody's calling you Tony. And even my dad would call me Tony. And I was just like, and so there was this beautiful moment when why my did your son, dad why did your dad start calling you tony because he wanted me to get used to it to be able to fit in better so was he the first person like where did you where did that start did it start school, in, in at school in, at school at they school. were just trying okay. to figure out any way of saying my name yeah when they would say it so they came up with the most convenient way. They saw my name was Antonio, Jose Antonio, yeah. mm -hmm. and that I went by on the Antonio part. Um, so they started, it would be like them just deciding that instead of Jose, that it's Josie. Um, yeah. and, and so, I, that, and it happens, right? And so they just went ahead and started calling me Tony because that's, I guess in, 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 in a lot of names, that's the short for the Italian version of Anthony or, or Antonin or whatever it might be. So yeah. um, it's but, so it's yeah, sorry, ahead. it's it's so interesting, because I just wrote a post about this on LinkedIn. And I remember, like, whenever you someone tag asked me on this stuff, though, yeah, I do have to start tagging you on this. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't remember, like, when when I first heard my name in English, like, my mom, everyone in Spanish calls it Pavel, which is like how it's meant to be That's said. How I said it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't, so like my earliest experience that I remember is someone asking me what my name was. Right. And in that second, I had to decide, do I say Pavel or do I make the other person feel comfortable and Americanize right. it? Right. But no one, no one taught me how to say my name in English because it's not meant to be said in English. So I, one day I just made up a name and said, Oh, my name is Pabell. But like, that's a made up name. Like, that's not how it's supposed to be set. So everyone right now, I still introduce myself to this day, I say my name is Pabell. But that's because I'm still not confident and secure enough to tell people yeah, that my name is Pavel, because yeah, I don't feel comfortable making them feel uncomfortable. But yeah. I cringe. But I cringe. I, cr I literally cringe every time I say Pabell. But yeah, it, it's sort of like I need to um, I need to do like a rebrand of my of myself. No, um, but, but that's, but that's, it, that's and, it. That's it. And yeah. And last thing I'll say is that I actually have friends that on LinkedIn and on their resumes, like they will shorten their name so that it is more um, Americanized. For example, my I have a friend named um, her name is Montserrat. It's it, she's Mexican American. Um, on her profile on LinkedIn, her name is Monse, right? Yeah. Because it's like easier to pronounce for like the average person. Or I have a, um, I have a friend named Saisha, but she'll just put Sai to be more like acceptable, if you will. You know what I mean? So, but, but to your point, it's acceptable like, and polite, which is what yeah. you just brought up that I think is really powerful. What you just said, yeah. 
it's yeah. not a sellout thing. It's trying to be polite to the people that are pronouncing your name. That that's deep where you went with yeah. that. But by doing that, like by making other people feel comfortable, you lose a little something of yourself. Exactly, because your name is it's so important to your identity. Yeah. <laughs> that's your first form of identity is what somebody yeah. names you right when you're yeah. born yeah um and and you were you were talking about your children as well before i cut you off sorry no 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 you didn't cut me off you went you went to a place that i think is important to acknowledge i did that too where i then felt more comfortable with tony than tonito it threw me off at first and then you do rebrand yourself as your confidence grows as your identity Desarrolla, you, you really do rebrand yourself. So I, I, I just want to make it, I just want to, you know, be, be really clear on this. It, it's a process. And I, at one point, I remember filling out a form where I wrote Joseph Anthony Tijerino. And I probably would have liked to have changed the Tijerino part because that was like, people would call me Tigerino, Tigerino. And I would say, no, it's okay, whatever you want to call me. Mm -hmm, now I say, mm -hmm. no, Tijerino. You know, mm -hmm. the same way people, uh, 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 you know, um, will correct you on pronouns, you know, yeah, we, ha exactly. we have a right to do that. But, but I just, it, it, but that was, um, yeah, I, I was doing that. I gave into it and it was, and you start losing yourself. Um, and a part of it was that I wanted to be, I wanted to be more Americanized and more accepted and then things happen. So I, I'll jump to my son and then I'll, Maybe I'll just jump here then. So then I'm in, now I'm in Nicaragua where I don't really belong in Nicaragua now. The same way I didn't belong in the United States. Complete, I'm talking about to other people. I felt fine. I mean, I was born there, but I wasn't made to feel like I belong there now. You know, it was just kind of a, a novelty. I, an Americano, you know, and, and, um, and so you, this I think happens a lot in a lot of our immigrant communities where you the sense of belonging is really important and you have to adjust it over and over again because now and i'm sure it's like this in other cultures as well and i know it is because i whether you're from sri lanka whether you're from nigeria whether you're from nicaragua whether you're from dominican republic i'm sure there's that 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 struggle of where you belong how you belong and um, I remember being in Nicaragua and, and they would make fun of my Spanish accent now, the same mm -hmm. way I was being made fun of when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then civil war breaks out and they were kidnapping my, you know, my, my family members and it was, it was really bad. And so um, my dad at that point was like, you guys gotta go and you gotta get out of here right now. And so the plan to take us to Nicaragua didn't work out so well. Um, wow. And at that point, they, uh, you know, he sent us over to an aunt in the Midwest, in rural Illinois. So that's where we ended up. And this happens, I think, to a lot of folks. So now it was a different struggle than when I was six. Then it was just kind of a little bit of identity. Then it was a little bit of, of, um, of the language um, and, you know, the, 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 in a new environment and everything. Now we're going back to the United States, except we're in rural United States, mm -hmm. not, not Washington, D.C., where, where, where it was a very different place. And so we're now one of the only people of color in the entire area, which is now completely different. But back then, we're trying to connect with my aunt which is not an easy thing. That's why whenever I hear these, you know, the, the migrant reunification efforts, it's not always easy. Not everyone need, want, wanted two teenage boys to show up at their doorstep that, that just fleed a country um, in, in turmoil. Uh, but at the same time, we spoke the language, which you can't compare to somebody that didn't speak the language. As a, one thing, as a little kid, you're almost cute that doesn't speak the language. And now this is, as a, as a teenager, we already were acculturated. You know, we podíamos defender. I mean, we knew how to get around. But we were also, I was also 15, 16 years old on my own with a 14-year-old brother um, trying to figure things out in a whole different part of the, 
country where life is completely different. So that adjustment comes again. Now, and, and, and it didn't work out with my aunt and uncle. So we were going from friends' houses, staying over there, sometimes in a car, sometimes um, trying to figure it all out. Knowing though that we also had the, 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 the safety net that at, at the end of the day, you know, we could go, we, we, we had someone we could depend on. They, they were going to take care of us in some way, but it didn't work out in terms of living there. And um, I remember um, being in class and once again, being picked on for, for different reasons now, but kind of the same. And once again, just fighting and everything else. And um, there was a turning point. I remember this gym teacher would say, they, like when, when the teachers are, are picking on you or making fun of you, it's a whole different thing. The other kids then feel awkward. It, it, it was so fascinating that this teacher would say things like, um, I smell beans, um, or, or hey, uh, you say Tigerino or something because they, they didn't want to pronounce my name right. And sometimes it was making fun of it, you know, Tinerina or whatever. And he would say, um, hey, after the showers, you know, when you're done, uh, playing sports and in gym class, and he'd say, uh, "Hey, you you missed a spot. Your back's still wet." And then he would start laughing, going, "You get it, you get it. He's a wet back." And so I'm hearing this from the teachers, from the gym teacher, and I remember that that's when the other kids really stopped uh, doing that, like saying those kind of things. And and once again, you adjust. There's a group of people that are nice and then the existence was fine. Everyone adjusts to you, you adjust to them. Um, and I had a fine you know, high school life. It was kind of different because we were on our own, um, but at the same time, people were very accepting and, and good. But I, but I do remember going to, a, to a, uh, a dance type of thing with this, with this girl that I really liked and um, she said, yes, we can go, whatever. And then I was going to pick her up in, in, in my car. And she said, listen, um, I think we can get away um, with it. And I said, away with what? She said, you know, just pretend to be Italian. And I was like, what? She goes, well, you have O's at your name. So you, we, I think we can get away with you just being Italian. And I said, but I'm, I'm not Italian. And, and that was a moment when it wasn't out of pride that I, this was when my pride started swelling and I didn't go out with her. And I started, I started um, lunging forward with my Latino-ness around that time. Uh, before, if I had a problem, it was because I just didn't like a bully. It wasn't necessarily my Latino pride um, that I was fighting for. <laughs> um, but now all of a sudden it was, my Latino pride. It was taking pride in my parents' accents. It was taking pride in not just Roberto Clemente, but the person that is working on a construction site. Um, it's taking pride in my uncle that we were there, uh, my aunt and uncle. Um, it was taking pride of my brown skin. Um, it was taking proud of my pride in my hair. It was taking pride in being an immigrant, which it was a kind of a defining moment um, to some extent. And then I went to, I came back to the DC area. I have no idea why I didn't do it before. Um, there was nothing really holding us there, but I, we just got through high school and then um, went to, uh, I wanted to go to University of Maryland, which was where I wanted to go all my life from the time I was a little kid growing up in the DMV. And sorry, and when before, I, before, yeah, uh -huh. before getting before into getting Maryland, like, what do you think about that experience made you want to embrace your culture? I, I think it was that somebody as now, as I was a young, uh, I wasn't a, a six-year-old. Um, I'm, I'm going through this as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, and it, it hits you differently. It, it's, it's now that they're not just not accepting me, um, or she's trying to pass me off. It's now that somehow she's 
doesn't feel comfortable with me or doesn't feel comfortable with my parents and doesn't feel comfortable with the Latinos that I've known in my life, including, you know, the people that are hardworking that are around us, um, that probably wouldn't be accepted. So that was a defining moment for me, Pavel, because I was now not representing myself. I was now representing everyone I knew. Um, and I've had those moments throughout my life now. And it's something that I, I, I like to say whenever I speak, you know, that you don't represent yourself. Pavel does not represent Pavel. Yeah. Abel represents everyone that they've ever met, ever seen on a movie, ever seen in the news. Mm -hmm. it, you carry a weight. And I think it's the same thing. Women have to deal with it. I, I definitely, uh, uh, you know, black people have to deal with it. Muslims have to deal with it. You have to now, gay people have to deal with it. Um, trans people have to deal with it. Non, you know, uh, our non-binary siblings have to deal with it. You now represent everyone that they've heard of that is part of that and in these rooms and we're in rooms of privilege your job yeah. you're in rooms that 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 you're now representing a whole lot more than just Pavel martinez and and i'm in mm -hmm. rooms that whether if i'm meeting at the white house i'm not representing me I'm, I'm representing everyone that isn't in that room and that's a very important point too because you don't have to be you know we also need to represent beyond ourselves too and I've been in a lot of rooms recently where I'm this weird, uh, you know, somehow competition that, that I'm seeing resurface again between the different groups. You know, um, what we want to get is based on what another group is getting. Oh, the black community is getting this, therefore this, or the Asian community is getting this, therefore this. And, and I've been in rooms where I have to blow up the room say I, I'm not comfortable with this kind of talk you know mm -hmm. base what you want to get out of your your position don't base it on what somebody else is getting you should celebrate that be a real ally be a real ally to the black community yeah. and when it comes to that too we have to deal with something else which is racism homophobia sexism Islamophobia anti-semitism in our own community you call somebody that's disabled the renko. That's a horrible yeah. thing to say, but it's somehow accepted. And forget what is about it what that we um I think like I I saw a meme somewhere that said uh Latinos will the nickname that Latinos give you is your worst insecurity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let's say you put on some weight, your your abuelita's gonna be like, Ay, que gordo, gordito. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a thing. Yeah, yeah, and you're supposed to accept it. So mm -hmm. that activism within our own community starts within our own families. I, mm -hmm. I, I will continue to correct my 91 year old father. And he goes, Ay, papito, you know, and it's, but I'm going to hammer it every single time. Um, and it's the same thing that I'm hearing in a lot of closed rooms among Latino leadership. And I'm like, no, I'm not comfortable with that kind of language. I'm not mm -hmm. comfort. And they're, well, there's supposed to be a safe space. Well, it's not safe if I'm in it. Stop inviting me. And I'm not going to put up with any homophobia of any sort. I'm not going to put up with any Islamophobia uh, or not, uh, or, or, you know, colorism, you know. And if I get, if I get called out on something, I'm listening. I welcome it. I'm listening and I'll adjust. Yeah. Educate me, illuminate me. And that's happened over the years, over the years. Um, and it's continuing to happen um, by people around me. And I tell people, you know, are, are, you also need to be able to do it in a way that is going to be, um, again, uh, uh, to educate and to illuminate, not, not to castigate. But at some point, you got to throw blows. So, you know, when, and, and, and so I, I, that's, that's, that all goes back to identity too and how comfortable one is in those situations. Um, I'm very comfortable now, but I'm also in my, my late fifties. Mm -hmm. I'm so comfortable being me. <laughs> I'm so comfortable being me standing up for others, standing up for myself. It's completely different. And that's why a quote when, when I, you know, when I, um, a quote that kind of made his way around that, it, you know, is that you're not lucky to be someplace. They, they need your perspective. Babel is not lucky to be a TikTok. 
TikTok's lucky to have Babel and, and your point of view and everything that you bring. And it's the same thing, every single person that works for me, that doesn't mean have a sense of entitlement, you know, um, but it means that you're there for a reason. And so if you're in a room and you're invited to a fancy room, you're there to represent. If you're on a board mm -hmm. and you're the only Latino on the board, you're there for a reason. Um, and you have to have a, a, a mission in that space. And as soon as you leave that board, you, part of your responsibility is to make sure two or three come in after you that are gonna represent different communities. Um, and you need to point out too, when somebody's being racist or sexist or homophobic and everything else, it's our responsibility too. You don't have to be a woman to be offended by sexism and to stand up against sexism. And it's the same thing you, in, across all the different areas. Um, and so I think we're getting better at that despite the confrontations being bigger. Um, and I'm always just very um, comforted by looking at youth and I work with youth. So when I see those trends changing there, that makes me feel better. And you're gonna have a tough time Viejitos having a problem with, you know, being homophobic mm. when a third of what I'm seeing uh, of youth not identifying as straight. Yeah. So you better adjust. <laughs> we keep talking about adjusting. Well, people my age need to adjust more and more and more um, every single day to be relevant. You want to be relevant? You do it through youth, not through yourself. I agree. Um, but, and but anyway. In every step of my of my career and and my life, I've been that six year old walking into a classroom, not speaking a word of English. Um, I've been that sixteen year old uh, being picked on by a gym teacher, and I've been that seventeen year old, eighteen year old, you know, being told to pretend to be Italian in order to go out on a date with her because her parents. Uh, might be accepting uh, accepting of me and fast forward to my son who is uh again juan antonio um and has no idea um that that's his name because we called him toñito from the time he was born and so he's in class and the teacher is like calls us desperately saying hey i i i, I we don't know where your son is we we're doing roll call and it's in kindergarten and we did and so we get to the, the classroom, we're like, but he's right there. And they're like, no, we were asking him what his name, if his name was Juan Antonio. And is, he said, no. And because he, he's Toñito, he owns that name. That's and beautiful. I don't know what his feelings are. I think he's kind of weird because I, I watch movies with him. <laughs> so I'm definitely trying to influence him. Like we'll watch Fruitvale Station. We'll watch. That's a powerful movie. <laughs> we watched um, Dallas uh, Buyers Club. Um, I watch heavy stuff with him. We also watch fun stuff too. But I, I, I showed him the the Basquiat movie. You know, I, I, I want who, who was a Haitian Puerto Rican artist. You know, we watch um, movies on feminism um, of famous feminists like like Frida Kahlo. Um, I want his identity to be his, but I want to make sure he has a lot of options and a lot of choices as he does that. And I, and I, and I, and, and so I don't know where he is with it because I know sometimes he rolls his eyes at me and he says, why do you have to define everything? Because now he's 13. So now he's caught. And, and I'm just like, you know what? You're right. You know, I, I, I got to stop doing that. So he goes, yeah, yeah. Right. Why can't I just, why can't I just be who I am instead of having to say, I'm, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. You know, and I'm, and I'm thinking about that. And it's, it's kind of my, 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 my style here at Hispanic Heritage Foundation. It's, it's, it's like basketball is now, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a positionless game now. Yeah. And, and I, I look at identity uh, uh, that way in terms of my kids that they want to be positionless, but at the same time, be able to play their game. Um, and and it's and it's and it's wonderful to see that. Uh, but I just um, but I love that his name is Tonito, and everyone knows him as Tonito, and they don't even know what his full name is. Um, and I and I saw him making sure that that Enya is on there, 
um, because now that makes him distinct where it might have been a little weird before where people got to call him Tenido. Um, he's now saying, no, it's Tonito because it's his name that it's, we gave him. And it doesn't represent him. It represents his papi. It represents his abuelo. It represents his great-grandfather. It represents Nicaragua to some extent, which he may not totally identify with right now. I certainly didn't at that age as much. And I was living in it. You adjust in life. My daughter, who was kind of like, oh, why do you have to put me in the same boxes and everything else? She, she really identifies with it. And my little 10-year-old, who's more fair-skinned, um, is identifying more and more with those things. I heard her talking to a friend going, well, I'm Latina and Asian, you know, um, at 10. So she's farther ahead because she sees her siblings. And when, when we had the George Floyd murder, without urging from me, my 10-year-old my at that time was nine years old, was taking stones, draw, painting them, and writing Black Lives Matter and putting them all over the park. Um, that that from a dad, oh my goodness, I could cry right now, is so powerful. Um, and it's the same thing when my daughter and, and, and I were going somewhere and I, and I said, go and buy stickers, you know, for her, for her water bottle. And those stickers were Black Lives Matter, pride flag, no human is illegal. Um, it, it, it was beautiful to see my children um, having this sensibility. Um, and, and I'm gonna be more proud of that legacy than anything else, that they have this, uh, this, this, this sensibility, this empathy, uh, this connection. Yeah, no, that, that, that's beautiful. And I'm sure part of that confidence that they have and, and pride comes from you, you know what I mean? Like as much as they see their siblings be themselves, they see Poppy being himself and embracing himself oh. and, and doing all those things and, and, and being defiant. So that representation that you're creating is, is huge. And I just want to make sure that we, um, that we touch on the professional side, because I think that's another area. Yeah, that yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's all connected, I think, bro. I think many of us code switch. Well, not code switch. We, well, yes, we code switch. But I think going back to those early years where, you know, you looked around and not many people look like you and you try to assimilate to like what is um, what most people around you look like. Right. And early on. Right. It's just because we want to be we want to make friends. We want to be part of a social group and social right, setting, right. et cetera. But when we get into professional setting, like that impacts our livelihood. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. that impacts how much money we're going to make, how much not only for us, but many of us are like supporting families here and abroad. Right. Yeah. So and right now, I think you're in an interesting place where like, you know, you're later, you're later in your career compared to like when you were doing like internships potentially. Right. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to better understand like how comfortable were you stepping into a quote unquote professional setting these days versus early on in your, in your whole, like in yourself, like who you were. Night and day, bro. <laughs> it, 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 there, I have no problem now in any setting. Yeah. But tell me about I mean, those early years. Like, what was that like? Was it? It was different then. It was different then. I, I did feel lucky to be there. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember actually the self-entitlement, sense of entitlement that other kids had. Like, I remember working at a PR firm and we were being sent to run around to, um, and I, it took me a while to graduate from, from college. And I was, I, I didn't have my papers until I was 27 years old, 28 years old when I became a citizen. So my perspective was very different. And I worked at an all you can eat seafood place, bro. All the, all the waiters out there, let me tell you something. That's who I want working for me now. That, that's, that's, that's the criteria that I have. Have you waited tables? And my main core of people that work with me, they've all waited tables. <laughs> that's a skill set baby that 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 to me was what shaped me best um when i but i remember them complaining i didn't go to college to to be an errand you know to be an errand boy and i can't believe they're making us run back and forth and i'm just like man 
air-conditioned cab to go to Capitol <laughs> Hill and deliver something to a member of Congress, like some, <laughs> some papers that you, that you had to deliver instead of, you know, smelling like, like fried shrimp all day long. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is great. And I, and I had the same, I, had, I would have the same shirt that I would wear pretty much every day because I didn't have any money. And I remember I was like selling blood under three different assumed names so, cause you can only give blood, I think once a week or something, I forgot what it was. And I was doing it like under three additional assumed names in addition to the one I had, because that way I could do it four times a week um, because, you know, and I wasn't making much money and, and I was thrilled. I was like, this is so much better than what I was doing before. I was, I was at a restaurant, you know, waiting tables. All you can eat is different than waiting tables. It doesn't stop. <laughs> you don't just stop at a table four times while they're eating their food. It's over and over and over again like my my uh my 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 view of what we were doing there in a professional setting was like i am so glad to be here um and i need to learn and and i was very i had trepidation about speaking up because i didn't want to say the wrong thing mm -hmm. um and i had people that were very nice to me that at the that at the very i didn't that at the very least made me feel like i belonged and I'm still friends to them to this day. Some were colleagues, some were even like younger than me, but they became almost mentors to me. Not mentors, but just somebody that that kind of that made me feel comfortable. We did a charla on belonging. And it was a very interesting charla you should take a look at and, and how one feels like they belong. What is that sense of belonging that we look for? And when we get it, you know, how, what does that mean? And and how complicated it is to get to that point, you know. Is it that important to belong if you belong in yourself? Like all of these issues are, are, are complicated, but I remember I, they, these guys all seemed, had like gray hair, gray suits and white skin. And they seemed so smart. And I started noticing they're smart in some ways. They're not very creative. They're not very in touch with the communities that they're supposed to be serving. Are they really that smart? They, they don't have a hustle. Um, yeah, it's like, is the, it, are they that smart or are we just putting ourselves so low in that pedestal compared to them? You know what I mean? Well, I think, I, but I think part of it, Pavel, is what is that value proposition? It's figuring out what you add. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and how it fits into this bigger space in this, in, 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 in the, the environment you're in. So I started figuring out being creative, being connected to the communities they're trying to serve, um, that being bold, that those are things that they were lacking despite their degrees and, and, and their suits, um, and their, hair color. And then you start figuring out where your value is, um, little by little. And a lot of times that's a process too, because then you become valuable to them as they pass off your ideas and your input as their own. And you kind of have to wrestle with that to say, okay, well, that's my value to them, which is going to make me valuable to them and keep me in this job. Um, Self-advocating is a whole different thing though. I remember calling my dad going, should I ask for a raise? No, no, no. Te pagan cada dos semanas. Sí, pero te dan seguro. Sí, bueno. What are you doing? You're you're gonna off. You're gonna you're gonna throw off the whole the whole arrangement you have here. You just be happy that they're paying you every two weeks and that they're giving that you're providing insurance. I remember 401k. I never got it going um, as a savings plan. That they were offering at that at, at that company because i didn't know what 401k was <laughs> um and you don't have necessarily that in at that time and i don't remember them having that in nicaragua so i couldn't get any guidance on that so and then also speaking up when inappropriate things are being said and let me put this too also being called out when one was doing inappropriate things that might have been okay in the 80s like saying saying stupid shit, you know um, 
it's it that makes you feel uncomfortable but then you're also not being called out for making somebody else maybe feel uncomfortable um i remember also working on aids issues in the early 90s um, i had a friend who died of, of aids and um and so I, I started working on those issues. And at the time my mom had cancer and I remember people saying horrible things to me. So it was like, a, and at the same time, I think the, the community that I was working with were also looking at me like, well, you don't belong here, you're straight. And the straight community was looking at me like, you don't belong here, you're working on these issues. It was, it, it, and it, it all goes back to that feeling of where do I belong and why aren't I, you know, it, it, how much of this is me feeling though I belong, even if others aren't making me feel that way. And, um, but I worked on, but, but that, that was, those are other things. It's not even just who you are. It's the issues that you take on, the things that you speak out about now are shaping your identity to others and to yourself um and and taking those stances and i it's weird i i was despite being feeling lucky to be there despite being hesitant about speaking up on something but i did on certain things i remember i i wouldn't work with on certain clients that just didn't fit with me. and and so i carry that over now so it's just there's a whole mix-up thing where you you're kind of picking and choosing what you felt really strongly about and i remember people saying rude things to me and and at like some what? point uh well first of all saying horrible things about the um you know about uh, about uh in the middle of the hiv aids mm. uh crisis and hearing that kind of stuff so it was like homophobic stuff mm. even though i i was straight <laughs> which is always interesting you know mm. to to hear that stuff, but it gives you a perspective, right? Uh, a lot of sexist things and um, a lot of racist stuff that you would hear. These are from and your colleagues? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Look, look, man, I'm still hearing that stuff. I'm hearing that stuff in the, in the Latino community. Yeah. No, 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 no. We have a blueprint as to what not to do from how we're treated and then we still do it within our own community. Look, I can be in a room full of I can be in a room full of middle-aged Latino men. And the only difference between, and by the way, I'm one of them. The only difference between certain Latino men and white men is that one has a better tan. It sounds pretty <laughs> much the same. <laughs> and 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 I and and so it's um those are all opportunities for us, but I, I can remember being propped up because a client, we were working on an issue where they didn't want to hear a word from me and just shut up and fax, because at that time we were sending faxes out all the time. Um, and that then two seconds later, a client's coming in that is the government of some Latin American country, and I'm now being put into that room as if I'm a vice president. Um, so you see all that kind of stuff too. and. and you're like, okay, or when they would do a, a promotional thing, and all of a sudden you see them rounding up the few black and Latino faces. All right, come on. Um, and you know what's happening. And so I remember like refusing actually and saying, no, nah, no, nah, you go ahead. No, no, they're more prominent in this organization than I am, go, you go ahead. Uh, and I remember also though, that, that I would work on a lot of different issues. I would volunteer a lot. And it was, the volunteerism was in the, again, with like women's shelters, the homeless issue was big to me, HIV AIDS, black community was big to me, Latino community. And I would work in these spaces um, and would try to bring the company with me into those spaces where then that becomes a case study that they could use to get a client so it i figured out really early that you that in that you also need to present a value proposition to the person that you're trying to change mm -hmm. um sometimes that's the easiest way to do it you know to, to to make it something that is going to benefit them 
Um, and in the business world, you can do that um, uh, if it makes business sense to them. Those are the easiest ones to tell. But to try to build empathy among someone on an issue is, is, a, is a lot deeper. I think people mix up sympathy and empathy. You know, mm -hmm. Sympathy is somebody is hungry and you give them a sandwich. Um, empathy is someone's hungry and you share a sandwich with them and listen and connect with how they got to the point where they were hungry. Yeah. And I have to call myself out because empathy also works where it's someone that doesn't agree with your, with your position on things. And sometimes that can be, um, and this is a really tough thing, <laughs> which has got to be my next level of development is to empathize with somebody that sees me as a threat, mm -hmm. that sees my brown skin, that sees my immigrant status as a threat, um, that sees how I view certain um, issues as a threat, and how do I empathize with them to better understand them, to then better communicate with them, to then better have them understand my position. And I'm working on it. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm too quick to go from a few minutes of trying that and then getting into um, a, 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 uh, a contentious environment. And I'm too quick to that. Um, so I, I need to spend more time building, you know, getting to the point where I am empathizing with somebody that has completely different views that I don't agree with. And I abhor in a lot of ways um, to better understand them, to then better communicate with them, to then better have them understand my position. And, um, and so I'm too quick to jump to a confrontation. Um, yeah. So it's, it's complicado, hermano. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's so complicated. And I think it probably gets more complicated as like the, the, the higher you get in your career as well. Oh, and man. That, that's what no, I was always fucking, so curious it's about. It's fucking complicated as a little kid. Well, I'm, no, I'm no, so, no, no, no. I'm so curious. It's though, easier like, now. It's easier now. I, was, I know who I am. It's complicated yeah. when you're a kid trying to figure it out. Interesting. And that's okay. when it was really complicated. It's more complicated for you, Pavel, in mm. your career than it is, than it is for me at this point. At this point, I walk in in a Guayavera and everybody else in a suit, and I'm good. Really? Yeah. I thought I walk in. No, man. I walk into a meeting. I, I walk into meetings and I have no problem stating my point of view. And if they don't like it, they can leave or I leave. I don't, I don't have, I don't have to negotiate my identity anymore. Hmm. I don't negotiate my identity. I don't negotiate my stances and everything else. I learn. I'm open. I'm open. You know, but I'm not walking in there trying to impress you. Mm. I, I am not. I'm also not insecure about what my position is. I know exactly who I am. I'm, and, and that works in a lot of different ways. I don't, before I remember ha having to like put certain words in or <laughs> like drop my credentials into everything and all this other stuff. I, I don't have to do that anymore. Oh my goodness, when I was younger, I would have to mention that I did this or that I graduated from college or that I know yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. My resume was like 20 pages long because I was putting in there every little thing because I was so insecure that they wouldn't try, they wouldn't get the essence of what I had to offer, mm. you know? No, no, it gets easier when you get older, bro. For me, at least, like I'm so comfortable being me. I stay and do what I want. I do it in a respectful way, and I also respect what other people say. But I'm not asking permission from anybody to be who I am or what I stand for. So I actually think it's harder for you, and I think it's harder for the 20-year-old, the and I think it's harder for the 10-year-old. Um, you're trying to figure that stuff out. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things that I, that I want to do with this is understanding that it takes time to get to that point where people are comfortable. Yeah. Like, I want to help people get to that stage faster in their life. Yeah. Um, and I think through these conversations, like 
I'm building representation to show people that it's okay to be yourself and you can, you can thrive in whatever work setting you're in and be yourself. Right. Because I think for many people, we don't see that representation. We see people that may look like us and senior leaders, but they're not being themselves. You know what I mean? So it's, we, we continue to see that representation of like, Oh, well, all right. Well, like I could be Latino and I could be a CMO, but then I, ha- I still have to get rid of my identity. Right. So seeing people like you gives us that, sort of reflection to say no i can i can do both right so i i love i love that i love that seeing people doing. like you doing Thanks. this is more inspirational than seeing people like me on your podcast i just want to make that clear mm-hmm. uh, that, that inspiration is coming from you it's not the other way around i'm i'm in a position that 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 um you have you have farther to go and for you to be in this space is is laudable and it's inspirational um look it, it being who you are is 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 a lot easier than trying to be someone else mm-hmm. oh it's a lot of it, work it, I, it, I used to i used to spend I was so entire insecure when i was younger oh i used goodness. to spend i used to spend entire weekends i've told this story before but like i used to spend entire weekends um, instead of listening to music that I wanted to listen to or watch shows that I wanted to, I would literally study white American culture. So like I would watch Riverdale. I would listen to Bruce Springsteen. I would like go to these restaurants that I had no interest in eating at. I would sacrifice my weekend activities just to study those things so that when I go into work Monday morning and people ask me what I did on the weekend, I can be relatable. Or like when I went to client yeah. dinners, like when I went to client dinners and people were like, oh my God, what'd you do this weekend? Instead of saying, oh, I went to a Mark Anthony concert, I could say, oh, I went to this, I went to this like Bruce Springsteen festival. It was amazing. And like people would find me relatable, but like these days I don't do it anymore, but I want more people to stop doing that. So that's what I'm really trying yeah, to do. Let me just say this though. First of all, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen is the boss and, uh, and he spent a lot of time studying Chuck Berry. So um, it, it, it all gets connected. But that's also important, too, is to have an open mind. Like, I want to be able to listen to ABBA as, yeah. and appreciate as much as I want to be able to listen to Johnny Lee Hooker, as much yeah. as I want to hear go-go music, um, yeah. as much as I want to hear Ravi Shankar. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's really important that, that, that you get to taste all of this. And this is why I love that my... That, I, I, that my son sends me samples um, because through rap, he's now able to know who Thelonious Monk is um, <laughs> and James Brown. But he's also able to know who some of these other people that are being sampled that would be so random that you'd never know who they are. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that about him, that, you know, that, that he's able to tell me, do you know M- MF Doom? was sampling this uh, Saturday morning cartoon show. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. I remember that show. Um, so there's this connectivity that all of this is a way of informing yourself and yeah. broadening our, our, our vision and our point of view. And listening is a big part of that. There's, and yeah. that's, the, that's something that you're doing right now by doing this. Um, there was a, there's a, there's, there, he's still alive, actually. It, it's a, it's a, 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 a monk uh, from Vietnam, from Vietnam, a Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, and he was actually nominated by Martin Luther King to be a Nobel Prize winner back in the '60s. And he he talks about intentional or deep listening um, that actually will help the person who's speaking to somehow. Um, release their suffering by listening intently. Um, that's a very powerful notion that, that by, 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 by having this intense listening that you're able to help the person who's talking deal with their, um, with their suffering. And I, that's to me, um, when we talk about allyship, that to me is allyship. It is deep listening, like Thich Nhat Hanh was, was talking about. Um, and I, a lot of times we get so caught up um, in our own suffering that we forget that just simply listening 
um, and being a real ally will go a long way uh, to others supporting you when 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 your time comes and it's and it comes for all of us in different ways um, so it's beautiful what you're doing I don't know if you had more specific questions because I, I I'm all yeah, over yeah. the place but I'm all uh, over my place in my life but I but please ask I'm telling you I'm good all morning this no. is this this conversation is so important you can then chop it up any way you want um, but we haven't even gotten into a lot of different things and uh, and I just have to tell you how important it is but it but it took a while to get here and I still know colleagues that yeah. and I'm still not completely there but I still have colleagues that don't feel comfortable that I see in meetings and they're just like whispering to me going thanks for saying that you know and thanks for bringing that up because they may not feel comfortable in their jobs mm -hmm. as I do I'm very comfortable in my job I don't want to do anything else this is it um, they may not feel very comfortable in their own identities, which is complicated. I don't judge any, anyway, call somebody else a sellout and all this other stuff. I don't ever want to do that. Everybody has their own pace. Everybody has their own journey. Respect it. Um, it, it don't impose what you do on someone else. I'm going to do my thing. You know, you want to hold my coat while I'm throwing blows? Hold my coat. It, it's fine. And, and, and that's the that's but but I've seen it play out with professionals that are a lot smarter, a lot more, um, a lot more steeped in their values than I am, um, and yet they don't speak up and uh, a lot of times. And there's so many different factors to it. Um, and let's face it, gender. I, I I love an outspoken woman and and Latinx woman because. Good Lord, they've got a whole nother layer of, yeah. of stuff to deal with than, than we do that has been there from the time that they're born. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, and that's, that's... I was just gonna say, no, there, there are so many different reasons to your point, um, why someone doesn't feel comfortable in that situation it could be their career. I mean, we ha we have privilege, even just some level of privilege, even just like being being men as well, right? To your point, like Latinas Huge. have like, Latinas, black women, et cetera, you know, they have an additional sort of hurdle that they have to get over in, in people's perceptions of their ability. So, I mean, the, we, we can talk about this for like all day. I'm very passionate about this as well. I'm good, um, man. Just to wrap up, like I always finish with this question and, and it's interesting because everyone has a different answer, but you know, as you look forward, right, your journey isn't over. There's some things that you mentioned that you still want to work on. Like what's tons. one thing that, yeah, tons. No, tons. You don't yeah. understand because because inspiration comes from everywhere. You're inspiring yeah. me right now. When people ask me, and I don't know if this is what you're going to ask me, but when people ask me, like, what's next for the organization? No. I say, what does the community want to be next for the organization? Yeah. My community leaves me. Yeah. It's not the other way around. So I just want to make that completely clear. So whatever we do or I do is based on what the community needs, what the community wants. Um, and, and that is exactly how I do that. I follow the community. Well, well, maybe your answer to this question is going to be the community, but what's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to continue being your most authentic self? Meeting people like you, meeting people that every single day I come across. Um, I, I have a text right here. Just got it this morning that just says, hey, brother, thinking of you, hope you're doing well. And I write, oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you, dale. And he goes, I love you too. Getting this text from a kid that I've known since he was in high school, that is a real leader from a very young age, helped pass the DREAM Act in Maryland, uh, started on DocuBlack, um, is so special to me and we connect with each other maybe every few months probably sometimes longer than that but he's in my heart he's in my mind he is my inspiration the same thing that i got in a, a text from you know uh a, a, a elisa juarez who i've known since she was in high school that that she texts me and i haven't followed up with her because i have to have a big conversation and she just texts me and just sends me pictures of her and her baby 
um, that inspires me. Um, so inspiration is everywhere. Just have to prepare yourself just to, to accept it when it comes um, in any form. And so I am energized every single day, starting this leadership institute and hearing from 300 kids that represent in one way or another, all 50 states plus Puerto Rico and, and, and District of Columbia. That's inspiring. Doing our coding program that we're, that we're hosting somewhere and we had it online and finding out that a, a, a couple of classrooms in Jamaica were logged on to it to learn how to code as well. That inspires me to then say, we need to do what we're doing for the Caribbean and Latin America and beyond. Um, so going down to the border and seeing what is happening on both sides, in McAllen and Reynosa in Mexico, um, and, and, and seeing the most vulnerable and what their journey is gonna be, how much farther they have to go after coming here from Honduras and all of a sudden they're on our border and they've got so much farther to go. Um, working with the farm worker community because I was inspired by Monica Ramirez. I always appreciated the farm worker community, but now I'm down because of Monica's inspiration. Seeing these leadership trainings that Juan, that, that Juan Sepulveda has been doing, that this is inspiration, what you're doing, Pavel. So that would be my very long-winded answer is that inspiration is everywhere. Our responsibility is to allow the opportunity to be inspired, to accept inspiration. And it's really that simple. So that's what keeps me going. I've been doing this for 20 years and I can't wait to do it tomorrow.